So uh, to start off, I'm going to invite you to open up to Ephesians if you have a Bible. Uh, open up to Ephesians 6. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. We would like for you to be able to follow along. It's pretty important to look at the words in Scripture here as we go. So Ephesians 6. We're going to start in verse 10, but we're going to be uh, focusing on verse 18 today. We've been in this series on the spiritual armor, the armor of God, as it's called, and we have been making our way, looking at every individual piece of the armor of God, and um, this is really the climax today of this passage. Uh, many, many scholars view this as sort of the climax of this passage because it's about prayer, and here's the thing about the armor of God, about faith, the, 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 you know, the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and um, the, the shoes shod with the, the gospel, you know, all of that is nothing without prayer. We don't so much as put that stuff on as pray it all on. Uh, prayer is absolutely critical, absolutely core. I was reading Martin Lloyd-Jones, a uh, pastor from the last century in UK. Um, you've heard me quote him many times because this is one of his favorite passages, and he wrote books, books, plural, on it and preached many, many sermons on it. And he says this about prayer. He says, I spend most of my life trying to show the importance of having a knowledge of truth and an understanding of it. That is vitally important. And when Martin Lloyd-Jones says that, he really means it. He spent decades preaching the Word of God. He would preach Friday night, he would preach Sunday morning, and then he would preach a different sermon Sunday night. So three different sermons, and each one of them is, you know, they were usually about 50 minutes long, so don't complain about my sermons. Um, they were 50 minutes long, and they were, they were uh, you know, really in-depth, theologically robust. Um, this guy loved the truth. He loved to teach. He's the prince of preachers in some ways. We all look to him. This guy was somebody who really valued knowledge of God and truth and understanding of it. And yet, given that, this is what he says, I spend most of my life trying to show the importance of having a knowledge of truth and an understanding of it. That is vitally important. There is only one thing that's more important, and that is prayer. There is only one thing that is more important because without prayer, we don't get the rest. We don't get the, the armor of God without prayer. And so uh, would you look with me at Ephesians 10? Uh, and we're going to read through to verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And if you would indulge me for just a few moments here, I'm going to pause here, and I want to I want to camp on those verses again because I think those verses give us some vocabulary and language to think through what's going on in our world right now, in particular this week, as two more black men were shot and then we have this thing happening uh, in Dallas where multiple police officers were shot and 
we're processing through uh, what has gone on. And for my money, the, the gospel in here gives us just a way to think about this that is perhaps a little bit different than the world does, but incredibly important. So let me, let me just camp here for one second on this concept of the principalities and the powers. The principalities and the powers love to entrench hatred in the world. They hate God's vision for where this world is going. And the vision that God has for this world, one of the hallmarks is in the book of Revelation, it says that there'll be a multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language that will stand before the throne together. Okay? That's the vision. And the principalities and powers, which are spiritual beings existing in the spiritual realm who hate God, and they hate anything that God is doing in the world, especially they hate those who bear the image of God. They love to entrench hatred. So if through slavery in the history of our country, or Jim Crow laws, or any of the legacy that comes from those institutions, tentacles of which reach forward into our day, if they can continue to foment that hatred, then they have done their job against God. Now, here's what Paul says that is very important for us to comprehend. That our battle is with them. You see where it says that? Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our battle is not primarily against people. Not black men, not police officers. Both are made in the image of God, the gospel teaches us, and Jesus died for both. And the only way that we can win the battle against the forces of darkness is by coming to Christ, ultimately. The only way that we can win the battle against the forces of darkness is by coming to Christ. Because only Christ can fit us with all of the armor that is necessary to stand against the cosmic powers that are ruling in this world. And so when we experience the things that we experienced this week, and many of you have talked to me about it, and I know it's at the top of your mind and you feel emotionally uh, intense about it. When we experience what we experienced this week, the shootings, um, the violence all around the country, and we know this comes on the heels of much more of this kind of thing, one of our first, maybe our first impulse should be to do a better job of actually making disciples of Jesus in the world. Because that's what is going to undermine this horrific work that the cosmic powers of darkness are at about. So, do we feel that? Do we take that emotional energy and say, you know what? I want to fix this, and the best way that I can fix this is by being a part of making more disciples. We're 
We're going to talk about this more in this coming year as we're developing kind of what the focus is, of going, to, is going to be of this coming year. So absolutely critical. The only way we're going to make lasting difference is when, when, we, when we make disciples who have been forgiven of their sins by Jesus Christ and who have the Holy Spirit and who can stand because of the armor of God against the spiritual powers and the forces in the evil places. So this is, this is kind of the first move. Now, when we make disciples, though, and we need to do this more urgently, they have to be genuine disciples with the heart of God, with the heart of Jesus. And I was thinking about, well, what's the heart of Jesus? Um, and the heart of Jesus um, is the heart that weeps when a brother or a sister loses his life. And I was thinking about the story of Jesus and his dear friend Lazarus, who dies, and Jesus is far away, and he goes to see Lazarus, and he's still a long ways off, and he's encountering the relatives of Lazarus, and we read in the Gospels that he began to weep, and the word that's used there is kleusen, which is a word that emphasizes the actual physical elements of weeping. So this is Jesus' heart for Lazarus, who lost his life. He's moved deeply in his spirit. And the people around Jesus in that moment, they see him weeping outwardly, and they say to themselves, oh, look how much he loved. Look how much he loved. So they see in his response sort of the heart that he has towards his brother Lazarus. It's not a bad example of how in a time like this, we as followers of Jesus Christ might respond to tragedy. It's probably the first place that we need to start. The Proverbs say, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. Um, We start with the heart. Jesus leads with his heart. We as followers of Christ lead with our hearts. And part of the way that we lead with our hearts is to see that black men have been killed, to see that police officers have been killed, that there's been a history and an ongoing thing, and to see that with the heart of Christ and to weep, to weep. There's a whole tradition in the scripture of lamenting over what is going on in the world around us. And to take on the heart of Christ is to see evil and brokenness in our world and to weep over it. And to use that emotional energy to compel us onto greater mission. Because we know what's ultimately going to change the world is people genuinely, there have been a lot of disingenuity around this, but people genuinely coming to Christ and getting the heart of Christ. So we're going to spend some time in prayer um, later in the service, and we will have within that time, time to express, and nobody can make this happen, but to express um, lament. We will clear aside some time for that, because it's the, really the right thing to do. And we'll have time to express lament, not just over this, but whatever is on our hearts, and to pray openly. So, 
Anyway, that was a long um, little digression, but as I was wrestling through this week and sort of filtering the deluge of comments and ideas and thoughts, I really found incredible power in these words about the principalities and the powers and our understanding of how we as Christians approach what is going on in our world. Let's, Let's make more and better disciples because that's our mission and that's our call. All right, picking up in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is our verse for today. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As we talk about becoming a person of prayer, which is the call of the text this morning, for us each to become a person of prayer, I want us to look at three different elements of becoming a person of prayer. First of all, we're going to look at the variety of prayer. Secondly, we're going to look at the source of prayer. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the work of prayer. So the variety of prayer, the source of prayer, and the work of prayer. And if I can be succinct about this, we're going to have ample time to actually pray together. First of all, the variety of prayer. Now, the word all happens four times in our verses. Look in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And one commentator made, I thought was a, a wonderful point, and that is this. It's good to, a good exercise to imagine what life would look like if you actually lived out the all of these verses. So most of us are functioning, praying at some times, praying some prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with some perseverance, making supplication for some saints. That probably characterizes most of our lives. What would your life look like if you were actually able to transform the some into the all? Let's talk about that. So uh, Paul, who, when he says all prayers, must have had a very broad spectrum of prayer in his mind. Uh, He was one who was deep into the Scripture. He understood the Old Testament and all the elements of prayer in the Old Testament. In fact, even in just the book of Ephesians, he's already demonstrated or shown multiple kinds of prayer. So going back uh, into the beginning of Ephesians, there's a prayer of blessing. And then right after that, there's a prayer of thanksgiving. And then right after that, we have the the prayer of remembrance. I remember you always. And then right after that, we have the prayer of enlightenment. And then we have the prayer of praise. And we have the prayer of supplication that's being called for. And we can add to that, all throughout Scripture, the prayers of lament and confession. And as 
really, the, the number of kinds of prayer are as varied as the kinds of conversations that you can have with another human being. And for me, this is really the key that opens up your prayer life, to understand that prayer is essentially a relationship with a living person, the God of the universe, who died and rose again and now resides in heaven and is available, living, breathing, not dead, but living. To really understand prayer, we have to understand that it's, it's a relationship in that sense. When you get up in the morning for somebody who has intended to pray in the morning, you're not checking off something on your to-do list when you engage in prayer. You are meeting, I like to think of myself as sitting down to coffee with a friend who happens to be the creator of the universe. What an amazing access to power that you have. What an amazing thing that you can sit down. That's prayer. And when you understand that, it will change the way that you look at prayer. It's not a task to check off. It's the development of a relationship. Now, in addition to the different types of prayer that are here in Ephesians and throughout Scripture, there's also prayer, when Paul's talking about this, that happens at all different times. And so you have uh, the different kinds of prayer, but you have the different times of prayer. And both of those are intended when he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So it's all kinds of prayer, and it's all times of prayer. And there are some helpful ways that, uh, for me, in thinking about this, there are different times and frames for prayer. And the first one is what I would call dedicated prayer, uh, where you sit down and you actually clear aside all the distractions and you say, I am going to spend time in prayer right now. And you may be alone, you may be with others, and you pray, and, and, and you focus principally on praying. Uh, I often liken this to my relationship with my wife, Jody. We can see each other a number of times a day, but if we don't carve out some time where we can look into each other's eyes or just be dedicated to one another, having a conversation with one another, then our relationship starts to go off the rails. So yesterday we had a date afternoon, and, of course, that usually means some sort of exercise when Jody's involved. So she made me walk five miles up in the Berkeley Hills. Uh, and I finally said when we were off in Kensington somewhere, can we turn around, please? Um, and my feet are sore. Uh, but it was worth it because we have that dedicated time of praying together while we walked and conversation together. Uh, and, and we need that. You need that with the Lord. You need dedicated time. But then there's those moments, right, like in, a, in our marriage, too, where we're glancing off each other, like, oh, can we do that? Hey, what's happening? Oh, what are you doing right now? Oh, you know, and, and you're sort of trying to parent or whatever you're doing and do life together, and it's just these glancing things. And I call those arrow prayers. We need the arrow prayers with God. We need to, 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 uh, to, to, to call up to God in those moments of difficulty and challenge and say, Lord, I need you right now. Uh, where are you in my life? I desperately need you to meet me in this particular circumstance. Somebody has said something that has frustrated me. Lord, would you, would you meet me in this circumstance? I don't know what to do next in my job. Lord, would you arrow prayers? Okay? And then there's a third kind. So there's dedicated prayer, there's arrow prayer, and then there's what I call breathing prayer. Breathing prayer is something that I think we grow into more and more as communing with God 
becomes the very core of our being. Communion prayer, as, as Brother uh, Lawrence talks about it, is, is sort of, it's like breathing. You're, you're going about your activities, and as you do them, you may even be talking. You may even be preaching. And at the same time, there is prayer going on, running in the background of your mind. And so you're praying uh, as you're actually doing other things. And were we to really understand the kind of intimacy that God wants to have with us and the depth of relationship that God wants to have with us, we would be engaging in that kind of breathing prayer 24-7. I love it when, when that happens. You know, it slows me down. It makes me more thoughtful. It helps me in my relationships. So important. There's fasting. Uh, there's corporate prayer when we get together with others. All these are the times of prayer. And Paul's saying engage in all of them. The variety of types of prayer and the variety of times of prayer. And I would ask us, what is it that keeps us so often from praying? Well, there are a lot of things. Um, we could spend all afternoon discussing them. But let me pull out just a few that I see from my seat as pastor uh, in my interactions with people, these are some of the barriers. One of them is that we have too formal a view of prayer. Maybe we grew up in a setting where prayer was always a very formal thing, and so we think that when we pray, we've got to know exactly what we're going to say beforehand. We think that maybe we have to recite something in particular to pray. Um, we have this formal concept of prayer, and it keeps us from engaging in that dialogue with God that's more characteristic of a friendship. You know, with a friend, you don't plan out everything you're going to say before you start to speak. And the same is true with God. There's, there's an informality that his title as father invites us into. Another barrier that keeps us from engaging in all the different types of prayer is a lack of, I think, sense of value in our identity. We can look at who we are and what we've done and view it as so insignificant that we don't even want to talk to God because why would God care about my little life and the little things going on in my life that don't matter? My, I, I don't really matter anyway. And, and Paul has spent a great deal of time emphasizing in the book of Ephesians that we are chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed children of God because of what Christ has done on the cross. No greater statement could be made about your value or your worth than that Jesus would go to the cross and offer his life for you. And that informs our prayer life as well. Because it says, look, you matter to God, and what you're going through, as small as it might seem in the great scheme of things, God cares about. So bring it to him. Don't be ashamed. Bring your prayers to him. I think another barrier is that we lack a sense of the warfare, the battle that's going on around us. This text has been all about this war against the principalities and powers that seek to destroy. And honestly, I think especially where we live, we get numbed to that reality because we're filled with all kinds of comforts. And they keep us from seeing that there's a battle raging on around us. And were we to actually get a glimpse into what's going on, we would probably 
immediately fall to our knees in prayer. Because we would know immediately how critical prayer is to our survival and effectiveness in the world. And then, finally, another barrier that often keeps us from a life of prayer is that we're not living on mission. In other words, we're not engaged in the things that God cares about. We're not stretching ourselves to accomplish something greater than what we could accomplish in our own strength. And therefore, we don't need God, or we at least we think we don't need God. And so our prayer life suffers. If you want to grow your prayer life, just step out to do something greater than what you could do in your own strength. And immediately, your prayer life will grow. Some of you this morning, you know what that thing is. You've been, as I'm talking, you know it comes to your mind. And it's, you've not done it because it's too big and you know, you're not sure if you can do it. If you want to jumpstart your prayer life, then stretch for that pursuit of God, that living on mission, that attempting something for God's glory that's greater than what you could do in your own strength. All right, we have to move on. The variety of prayer, the source of prayer. In this text, Paul tells us what the source of prayer is. It's the Spirit. We're supposed to be in the Spirit. And I will remind us briefly what happens when people are in the Spirit. When you look throughout Scripture, you know, Ezekiel received the vision of the dry bones, the valley of dry bones, in the Spirit. King David identifies the Messiah when he's in the Spirit. And Peter, too. Jesus says of Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but your Father in heaven. And, 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 and so he wasn't flesh and blood. He was in the Spirit when he identified who Jesus was. Simeon also identified Jesus Uh, In the Spirit, the text says. Paul, when he was in the Spirit, decided not to go to to Macedonia so that uh, it opened up a whole new aspect of the furtherance of the gospel into a new continent. That happened when he was in the Spirit. John was given the vision of the very end times when he was in the Spirit. And then we have to say no more than this, simply then that the world itself was created by the Spirit was hovering over the, the waters of chaos So it was by the Spirit that creation itself took place. And then when creation was broken down and decayed and going in the wrong direction, and Jesus died to redeem all things, and in the middle of that, what does it say? Peter tells us that that the, 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 the confidence that that actually took place in the resurrection happened by the Spirit. Jesus was raised up by the Spirit. So... Incredible things happen when people are in the Spirit. And it's not just for the superheroes. In Ephesians 1, 14, 13, it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So if you're in Christ, if you come to faith in Christ, you have the same Spirit that was there at the creation of the world and there when Jesus was raised from the dead. And in your little life, in my little life, that Spirit does amazing things. That Spirit prepares us for what's ahead. One of my closest friends lost his father a few weeks ago and an amazing thing happened the morning before his dad died in a drowning accident, he was reading Psalm 23, of all things. Psalm that's most often read at the death 
of a person. And he said, I'd read it many times. And I never, he said, I was sitting there that morning, and it was, just, it was like the words were leaping off the page to me. And later that day, he lost his father. See, that's the kind of work that the Holy Spirit does when we come to him in prayer. Um, the Holy Spirit creates di- divine appointments. You just need to see that one person. That one person needs to see you, and the Holy Spirit o- orchestrates that. To, to pray, to be in the Spirit is what infuses our prayers with vitality and aligns them with the one who can answer them. That's what we desperately need. So how do you get in the Spirit? Huge question. A couple of thoughts. First of all, one of the best things you can do if you want to call down the Spirit into your life is to recognize your own poverty. Part of the problem, part of the reason we're not more Spirit-filled is because we're self-filled. We think we know already what needs to be done. We can handle it. We don't have need. If you want the Holy Spirit, come to grips with your own poverty before God. Empty yourself of yourself. I love fasting for this reason. Fasting brings you to a place of impoverishment. It denies the flesh so that you can then be before God in humble emptiness. I love what one person said in our pulpit a number of years back. He said, if I can't immediately identify 20 reasons that I desperately need God, then I know I'm in spiritual trouble. We should all have, at this moment, 20 answers to the question, why do you need God right now? They're there, we're just not in touch with them. If you want the Spirit, you've got to, you've got to blessed are the poor in spirit. You've got to recognize your poverty. Then you've got to ask for help. When I was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, at a huge church, 12 pastors, one of the pastors was 70-something years old, and he um, was a visitation pastor and we would get down to pray and he would always start in this way he would say oh god teach me to pray and then he would go on and ask god to teach him to pray and i'm in my 20s just out of seminary and i'm thinking to myself this guy has prayed 10,000 prayers this guy has visited hundreds of people in the hospital and prayed for him for them. And yet, here he is in our midst saying, Lord, teach me to pray. I don't know yet how to pray. Teach me what to pray for. If we want to be in the Spirit, we have to come to God with that kind of, that kind of openness and request and ask Him to teach us to pray. And then, if we want to be in the Spirit, this is really important, we've got to be ready to act when the Spirit prompts. I think a lot of times we pray, oh Lord, you know, meet me in my life and fill me with your spirit. And God's like, okay, I will. And he says, he prompts us, he says, go do this. And we're like, I don't want to do that. And so we stop the whole process right there. We put a halt to it. It's like, I just think of a garden hose and, and, and we want the spigot to be turned on and to be filled. And so the garden hose gets filled and it's taut with tension and it's ready to and, and then we're not squeezing the lever at the other end to let the Spirit work through us and to come out. 
and we squelch the process because of a lack of a bias for action, a lack of a willingness to react. All right. The source of the prayer is our spirit. The last thing is the work of prayer. Paul says in here, keep alert with all perseverance. There's that word all again. Keep alert with all perseverance. And we just have to acknowledge that the inertia of human flesh is against prayer. Often. Prayer is just, it's hard. And there's no better example of this than the disciples themselves. When Jesus went to the garden before he's going to offer himself an atoning sacrifice, he says to the disciples, go over there and pray. You're going to be sifted. And I'm going to go over here and pray. And Jesus is there and he's, you know, he's crying blood, essentially, in prayer. And the disciples watch for a little while and then they fall asleep. Their, Their body overwhelms their intent and they fall asleep but something happens because you turn the page over a few in the bible and we get to the book of acts and and the book of acts is a story of prayer it's a story of this fledgling community coming together to pray together and they're up all night praying and crazy things happen and people are put in jail and their immediate response is to pray and they pray and, and, and the gospel goes forward in power throughout all the regions. And it's traceable back to their prayers. In fact, even the whole history of the church tells us that no revival has ever occurred that was not preceded by intense prayer. And we want God to move in our church and in our place. But... We need to pray. Fight the flesh. I'm I'm with us. I've been battling the flesh in prayer ever since I can remember in my walk with the Lord. I remember, you know, getting up with all these good intentions. I'm going to spend a half hour, an hour in prayer. And, you know, I got my list and I'm about at number three of 70 and, you know, my vision's getting blurry, and my head is starting to nod, and I never get past number four. And so, for me, the battle of the flesh meant for years, and even now, to some degree, I have to write out my prayers, or I won't stay focused. So, I type them out, or I handwrite them, and it takes a lot longer, but, and I get to pray less, because it takes more time. But that's better than not praying at all. It's the battle with the flesh. And for me also, uh, this battle has, has taken uh, community as a, as a help. I need, get, on Wednesday morning, 6.30, there's a group of people from this congregation that pray. And I know they're going to be there. And it helps me to get up in the morning and get there just knowing that they're going to be there. And it helps me to stay awake at 6.30 listening to them pray. If I fall asleep, they're going to hit me, right? We need each other to fight the flesh and to pray, to stay in a life of prayer. And then I found in the last five or so years that fasting is incredibly important for me. Oftentimes I will fast on Thursday mornings and all day until dinner time. 
And for me, it's a way to deny myself and, 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 and create that empty place that God can fill. It keeps me focused because every time I have a hunger pang, I turn it into prayer. And I'm just, otherwise, I just get caught up in life and I don't pray. I'm just, it's the flesh. It just, it overwhelms my good intentions. So we've got to fight. So let me ask you this, follower of Jesus. Are you fighting the flesh in prayer? Are you fighting the flesh in prayer? Well, it concerns me that on Wednesday morning at 6.30, out of a church of about 300 people, there's five of us gathered together to pray. It concerns me that on Sunday morning at 8.45, now this is this 11 o'clock service, so wouldn't expect you to be here for that, but it concerns me on Sunday morning at 8.45, only 15 minutes before worship is going to start, there's only, you know, maybe 20 of us praying together in anticipation of the worship service that's to come. This is the gathered church, the body of Christ, the temple of the Spirit. Why would we not call down the Spirit together so that when we're doing this, it is filled with the Holy Spirit all the more? What an opportunity we squander. It concerns me that when we have people in the back who are ready to pray, you know, on a Sunday during communion time, one or two people will go back and, and, and ask for prayer. Honestly, there should be a line out the door for prayer. Because we're in touch with our desperate need for God to be able to do life and live on mission. Paul has a vision for us as a church that's much more expansive than what we're living into. And the, the initial impulse, the key is going to be prayer. There's a deep lesson in the disciples sleeping you know, they slept and they went off after that night before Jesus went to the cross. They slept during the prayer moment and they went off and made shipwreck of their faith nearly. They denied Jesus. They denied the very core of who they were publicly. Jesus stayed up and prayed. And he went the next day and saved the world. I don't know. Correlation? Let's pray. I would like you to turn to three or four people next to you. And I want to shape what you pray about. In a little bit, I am going to shape it and give you some pointers to think about with respect to some big things going on, you know. But just turn to three or four people. You can move your chairs if you want. And let's pray. If you're a visitor with us and you're 
kind of weirded out about prayer, that's okay. You don't have to say anything. Just listen. Um, Let's pray.
Okay, so as we think about um, the violence of this last week, I want to read a number of scriptures. And one of them, the second one is a lament. Uh, and, and so engage your heart with that lament. And some other ones are just inform our thinking. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice in this. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in a procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation." And Mark eleven fifteen, and they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? Genesis 1, 27, spoken of all human beings. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. It's the heavenly vision. And one more, which is a little indirect, but talks about our debt to one another. Genesis 4.9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And we know the answer that Jesus gave is, Yes, in fact, we are our brother's keeper. So would you pray now uh, for, in particular, uh, our nation as we grapple with the violence of this last week and as we, uh, bearers of the gospel, seek to live out our mission more urgently in the light of what is going on around us. Go ahead and pray.
God, we ask you to teach us to have hearts like you that weep over our brothers and sisters where we see people's lives being taken unjustly, uh, where we see uh, confusion, where we see uh, lack of um, ability to uh, make sense, where we see, um, Lord, we, we are overwhelmed by uh, the brokenness and, and we can only weep uh, for loss. And we ask, God, that you would um, bring your resurrection power to bear in these uh, difficult circumstances. And you've given to us the call to proclaim that message and to bring it. And so help us to bring it. Help us to bring it in our conversations in the workplace. Help us to bring it in our relationships, in our neighborhoods. Help us to bring it, the gospel news, the good news, um, in the heavenly vision. Help us to bring it wherever you have us interacting with others. Help us to leave this place as well uh, with renewed intention around prayer. God, we want to lean into the full vision you have for us as human beings in relationship with you that involves us in a daily, even moment by moment, vibrancy, conversation with you. So help us to lean into that individually and corporately together that you might make us more and more filled with your spirit and more and more effective in this place for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.